Please remain standing and open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. It's good to be back in the Psalms this evening. And let us hear the word of God. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Please give it your full attention. Psalm chapter 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thus far the reading of God's Holy Word, and you may be seated. On more than one occasion, I have mentioned that the Psalms were the hymn book of Jesus. And when I suggest such a thing, I do not mean that he simply liked to sing them, which there's no doubt that he did. But what I mean is that they are all ultimately about him. When he sang the Psalms, he was reflecting on his messianic task to live, die, and rise again. And when we have occasion to look at the Psalms, that is what I've tried to demonstrate, how each one of them is ultimately fulfilled in the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Now, some Psalms make this more abundantly clear than others. Psalm 16, I think, is one of those Psalms. It is a Psalm of David, and just as we have seen with his other Psalms, Thus far, he writes them, for the most part, about his own life circumstances. Yet, they are ultimately about Jesus Christ. And that's really the point of biblical typology. A type is something in the Old Testament that bears resemblance to what Christ would someday come to do. And so the life of David often bore resemblance to the life of Christ. David was a type that points us, he was a type of Christ that points us to uh, the life and work of Jesus Christ. And so his life foreshadowed and prophesied concerning the coming of Christ. We will see how Psalm 16 prophesies of Christ through the life of David most clearly, I think, when we get to Verse 10, 
But first, let's look at the structure of the psalm, and then we will work our way through it. The structure of this psalm is not immediately discernible, but I think at minimum, we can suggest this. David begins in verse 1 describing his relationship with the Lord. And then in verses 2 through 8, he describes the benefits in this life that result from his relationship with the Lord. And finally, in verses 9 through 11, he describes the benefits in the next life that come as a result of his relationship with the Lord. And so let's look again at verse 1. He writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now here, David is crying out for preservation. And the word preservation can also mean to keep or to watch over. And so whatever the situation was that David was facing when composing this psalm, he finds himself in need of the Lord's protection. He needs the Lord to keep watch over him and to preserve him in the midst of this situation. David knows that there is no... Uh, no one higher to which he can appeal than to uh, the Lord himself. He needs to appeal to the protection of God. For he says, in you, in you, O Lord, I take refuge. His cry of preservation, you see, comes from his trust in the Lord, in his faith. In the Lord to keep the promises that he has made to David. And so does a relationship established in trust or in faith. Now David was the Lord's anointed. And he needed God's protection from his enemies. We know this because many sought to kill David throughout his life. And so David has a relationship with the Lord established and rooted in faith in absolute trust in the Lord to be his protection, to be his place of refuge, his source of refuge and protection. Now in verse 2, David begins to describe the benefits of his relationship with the Lord. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Or more literally, he says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. My master, I have no good apart from you. And so David takes the name of the Lord, the the covenant name of God, Yahweh, confessing that he is the master and that nothing good comes apart from him. He recognizes that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so David first recognizes in general that every good thing comes from the Lord. That, that everything he receives uh, is, uh, that is, that is good comes from the Lord. But then in verse 3, he turns his reflection upon specifics. And begins by reflecting upon God's people. Specifically the saints in the land. And says, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, when you are united to the Lord by faith, then you are united also to his people. They are your covenant family, and as such, your delight. And this is one of the many benefits 
of your relationship with the Lord, that he has provided you with a new family. So on the one hand, David is is drawn, because of his relationship to the Lord, drawn to the saints, drawn to God's people. But on the other hand, as we find out in the following verse, he is turned away from the wicked. He notes that he will not participate in the idolatries of those who worship other gods. Their sorrows will multiply, and he has no desire to associate himself with them. And so David is really displaying here the characteristics of the blessed man, the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of of scoffers. He takes no delight in such people and will not follow in their ways. Rather, he delights in the Lord's people. He delights in those who delight in the law of the Lord. And then in the next few verses, as David reflects on his relationship or continues to reflect on his relationship with the Lord, he sees God uh, in three different ways, three different benefits here. He sees God as his inheritance as his wisdom, and as his security. As his inheritance, his wisdom, and his security. First, in verses 5 through 6, he speaks about the Lord as his inheritance. Now, what's behind David's language here in these verses is God's promise of the land that he gave to Israel, the land of Canaan. And he will mention that the Lord holds his lot, and the lines have fallen for him in pleasant places. You see, when the land was divided up amongst the tribes of Israel, a lot was cast to determine the boundary lines for each tribe. And as the lot was thrown, it was recognized that the Lord himself determined the lot that was cast. So he was determining for them Uh, the boundaries for each of the tribes. And so David mentions in verse 6 that the Lord was good to him in giving him his allotted inheritance of land. But before this, he speaks about the Lord himself being his inheritance. In verse 5, he recognizes that it is the giver of the land who is his true inheritance. Or as he puts it, the Lord is is my chosen portion and my cup. Now, cup there uh, in other places in Scripture, cup is sometimes translated as lot, right? You, the Lord is my chosen portion and my lot. And so uh, he possesses, that is David, possesses not only the land as a benefit, the good land that the Lord had promised to Israel, But even more, he possesses the Lord, who is the benefactor. He possesses the Lord, who is the giver of the land. And so the Lord is his true inheritance. And then next, he sees God as his wisdom. In verse 7, he blesses the Lord who has given him counsel. And therefore, his own heart is able to give him wisdom as he meditates at night on that counsel. In other words, God speaks to him, which allows his heart to then instruct him with that wisdom. 
as he meditates upon it each evening. And then the last benefit, at least the last one that he discusses here, the last benefit that flows from his relationship to the Lord is the security that the Lord provides him. And with regard to this, one commentator writes, verse 8 expresses David's security in having always set the Lord before him. God precedes him as the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire preceded Israel. And he also steadies him by being at his right hand, end quote. So these are the immediate benefits that David ponders as he reflects upon his relationship with the Lord. But then David begins to reflect on certain eternal benefits in verses 9 through 11. Benefits, that is, that may begin in this life, but have eternal consequences. Benefits that go even beyond this life. However, when he writes about these, uh, that is, when he writes these three verses, he actually goes beyond his own life experience. Or, or we might put it this way, he leaves behind his own life experience. Meaning, at this point, David begins to speak only of Christ. Not of himself, as a type of Christ, but only of Christ. He leaves behind his own situation to speak of the situation that only Christ himself will experience, that only Christ will accomplish and live out. He says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For, here's why the heart is glad and the flesh is secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Again, this is referring to Christ alone, not to David as a type who prefigures and foreshadows Christ. No, this is of Christ alone. How do we know? Well, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost. He tells the crowd, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these verses. And after quoting those verses in his sermon, Peter proclaims, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn within, had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, which is simply the Greek word for Sheol. Sheol's the Hebrew, Hades is the Greek. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And so David in this verse was not speaking about himself as a type of Christ. No, he was speaking about Christ alone, just as Peter says. Being therefore a prophet, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Now, sadly, there are liberals today who will tell you that the Old Testament never actually speaks about resurrection. And this is one of many places that you can point someone if they were to make such a claim. Uh, the Old Testament does, in many places, speak about resurrection. And here it speaks specifically about the resurrection 
of Christ. And Peter's proof that Psalm 16 in these verses do apply to Christ and his resurrection is that David was buried and his grave is right over there. That's his point in the sermon. His grave is there. His body saw corruption. But that is not the case with Jesus. He was raised on the third day. Therefore, his body saw no corruption. It never decayed. He rose from the grave and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, this doesn't mean that only the last few verses of this psalm are referring to Christ. And that all the verses prior to that were simply about David. Not at all. This whole psalm is about Christ. Remember the first eight verses are about Christ as he was typified in the life experience of David. That is, as David uh, was a type pointing to Christ. What I mean uh, is that Christ, especially with reference to his humanity, looked to the Father as his place of refuge. He cried out for preservation from the Father. These things he sought after for the most part in his time of crucifixion, which is why Hebrews 5 says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And the word there for save, sozo, is typically translated save. I mean, that's how you would typically find it translated in Scripture. But it can also mean preserve. He prayed with loud cries to him who was able to preserve him from death. We also know that Jesus has received an inheritance, just as David speaks of here. That the lines fell for him in pleasant places, in very pleasant places, in fact. For he has inherited all things as King of kings and Lord of lords, now sitting at the right hand of God, ruling over all. We saw uh, the Apostle John uh, referring to that in the vision uh, in Revelation 5 as we looked at that this morning. And Christ uh, considers the saints... That is, he considers you and me his delight. Before the Father, he takes our names upon his lips. He testifies of us on account of our faith in him. We are his delight. We also recognize this psalm to be fulfilled in Christ because as scripture has told us, Jesus grew in wisdom, particularly with reference to his humanity. He would have no doubt sought that wisdom from the Father above. And certainly he would have sought security in the Father as well. And so there's no doubt that this whole psalm is about Christ. It's pointing us to the work of Jesus Christ. The first eight verses are typologically pointing us to Christ as it tells us about the life experience of David. But verses 9 through 11 are about Christ alone. 
They are not necessarily referring to David, but he foresaw and spoke as a prophet about Christ alone in those final few verses. And so this whole psalm is pointing us to Jesus Christ. It is the same in all the psalms. They are all messianic psalms that point us to the work of Jesus Christ. Hence, they were the psalm book of our Lord Jesus. Christ, beloved, rose bodily from the grave on the third day, ascended with that body 40 days later to sit at the right hand of the Father, and now, as verse 11 of our psalm says, experiences the fullness of joy in the presence of God, where at his right hand he experiences pleasures forevermore. Now these verses are explicitly about Christ, that is these last few verses as I've mentioned are explicitly about Christ, but it certainly doesn't mean that David found no hope in them for himself. Because David looked forward to the resurrection of Christ, he could have hope that his own flesh would be secure. In other words, he could have hope that his flesh would someday be raised from the grave, being united to the Messiah by faith. Now, David's body would certainly see corruption. David's flesh has decayed and is still somewhere upon this earth. But on the final day, my friends, God will raise up his body from the grave and unite it together with his soul so that he can dwell in the presence of God and experience pleasure forevermore. And that is an eternal benefit that we can all experience through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we, of course, do not deserve this eternal benefit. We have all sinned against God and bowed our hearts to idols, which merit for us the multiplication of sorrows spoken of in verse 4. The sorrows of the wicked will infinitely multiply when they are raised themselves unto eternal condemnation. But Christ suffered and died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you, who are united to Christ by faith, to God. 1 Peter 3.18 and when that day comes, you too will have pleasure forevermore. Now, this is not the only benefit that Christ has brought us. We also experience present benefits as well, the very benefits that, that David uh, spoke of in this psalm. Even as we walk on this world, our relationship with the Lord, established through faith, brings us present benefits such as security and protection from our present enemies, sin, Satan, and death itself. God is our refuge in Christ, a present help in times of trouble. And so security is one of those benefits. Oh, what about our new family? David took delight in the saints in the land, and we too can delight in our new brothers and sisters in Christ, our new family. This is the family that you ought to be drawn to now in Christ, not to the wicked, not to unbelievers. Now that's, of course, not to say that we can never enjoy the company 
of unbelievers. But there is a bond which goes deeper for those who are in the family of God. And so do you delight in the saints? Are you more at home with them than with those outside of the family of God? James Montgomery Boyce asked some discerning questions in his commentary on this verse. He said, this is a way by which you can measure, by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who love him. Those who find their good in God, as David did, will also find good in those who likewise seek him. Again, do you find it uncomfortable to be with those who sin openly? Are you troubled by their values, shocked by their desires, repulsed by their blasphemies? Or are you at ease among them? If, like Peter, you have no difficulty warming your hands at the fire of those who are hostile to your master, it is because you are far from him. You had best get back to him before you deny him as Peter did. End quote. I think that's helpful to ponder. Because truly a benefit, it is truly a benefit to have the family of God. In addition to these things, we also have the benefit of spiritual wisdom, do we not? We have a a finished Bible. And the Spirit whom Christ poured out upon us works alongside of the Word in our lives to give us the wisdom we need to know the path of life. The question is, is are we making a diligent use of this benefit? Are we reading God's word? Are we meditating on it at night and even throughout the day so that we might discern the counsel of God as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Beloved, every good gift you have, is from God. You have no good apart from Him. Of course you have salvation. Nothing greater than our salvation except that you possess God Himself by faith through the work of Jesus Christ. He is your true inheritance. But then every good that you have even beyond this, even the simple things of life is from your heavenly Father. Too many blessings to count. Beloved, we have all these benefits and more, just like David, so that God might preserve us in this life as he prepares us to be with him in the life to come. Give him praise For these benefits and know that you have no good apart from him. All praise and glory and honor be to him both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us for 
not always being a people of gratitude. Not always recognizing all the good that you have given to us. And sometimes we dwell more upon the things that that we might find negative in our lives. Complaining about our sorrows or our sufferings. And forgetting that you have blessed us beyond our understanding. And so may we be a people who always remember your wonderful blessings to us. Both in this life and especially those in the life to come. Humble us that we might understand what we deserve, but also comprehend what you have given to us in Christ. May our days be filled with obedience to show you and to demonstrate such gratitude. And may uh, the words of praise always be on our lips to bless you for the wonderful gifts you have given to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.